Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni, and welcome to After Four, the podcast that's just for you. I'm your host, John Steele, and as always, it's a pleasure being together for another episode. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. I am incredibly glad that you made it. So as someone who's been navigating this post-graduation reality for a number of years now, there's something that I find to be a fairly constant struggle for me, and that's letting success and failure define who I am and what I'm worth. It can be at work, it can be with family, friends, finances, almost any aspect of life. When things are great, I'm flying high because I'm clearly good at what I do, maybe even blessed by God. And then I inevitably have an off day, an off week, an off month. And wow, that self-worth, self-perception, perception of others, it just starts to plummet. Anybody else identify with that? Well, I'm happy to say that our guest this week has some extremely wise words and invitations for us around this topic. Today, we're joined by alumnus Mark Hyman, an extremely talented and high-achieving individual. I don't want to totally give away the plot, but let's say that Mark is good at a number of things at a level that he could easily be tempted to use as the foundation for his identity. But Mark has made it his endeavor, both during school and long after graduation, that no matter how successful he is or how often he fails, that he maintains an identity firmly established in Jesus. All right, let's get to know Mark together and hear how it is that he does this in his own unique contexts. Here he is. This one's for you, alumni. Well, my good old friend, Mark, it's been a while. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. How about you? Doing pretty well. You know, my memory of you and me together is that we spent a lot of time digging in the dirt with one another. Is <laughs> I that... remember that too, yes. <laughs> Many years ago. That's kind of how I got introduced to InterVarsity, honestly. Really? Digging, oh, the digging in the dirt. That's amazing. I had forgotten that that was sort of the beginnings of your InterVarsity story. I do want to hear that story. But before we do that, Mark, just give a bit of an introduction here. Tell us your name, your alma mater, and just a little bit about what you're doing right now. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, My name is Mark Hyman. Currently, I live in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am currently a researcher in computer science at a national research laboratory out there called Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. I did my undergraduate study at Washington University in St. Louis. That's where we met. Yes. I graduated there in 2015. And then after that, I went and did a PhD in computer science at the University of Michigan, 2015 to 2020. Last February, 2022, I moved out to California. I was working at Lawrence Livermore, the place where I work out in California. I was fully remote until I moved out here to start going on site some of the time. So I've been out in California in the San Francisco area for just under a year at this point. We mentioned already you and me digging in the dirt. Let's go back to that time. Tell us the story of how you got involved with InterVarsity at WashU in St. Louis. That was spring break of, I think, my sophomore year at the time. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do for spring break? Uh, we have the Asian Christian Fellowship at our campus. And so they were organizing this trip. And so I thought, well, I have nothing better to do. Like, let's go on this trip. <laughs> Granted, I don't know if I like had the most riveting spring breaks. I still think that was probably the most impactful spring break that I spent of any of the four years I was in college. 
just gave me a really unique perspective on the city. You know, St. Louis is a very complex city and it has a very complex history. The city is very broken in many ways. The area even around Washu makes that so clear. You have seven-figure homes south of campus, and then you can literally like cross a street just north of campus and property values drop by half. And it's just because of the huge economic inequality. There's so much work to be done for justice in the city. I'm really thankful for people like City Lights who are really passionate about doing that. To participate in a week doing that in just such a concrete way, we're talking about digging in the dirt, which is very different from the very like cerebral way in which you approach life in the ivory tower of academia. So that was my connection to InterVarsity when I was in college. When I was in graduate school at the University of Michigan, I got involved with a branch of InterVarsity there as well. There they had the Graduate Christian Fellowship. So I got involved with GCF there, and I'm really glad that I found the people in GCF when I did. As you think about your GCF experience, is there like a standout memory or something that was particularly impactful for you during that time? Well, I could tell several different memories, I guess. But I would say GCF definitely had a really deep impact on my PhD. In fact, arguably, it saved my PhD in a sense. You know, I did pretty well in college and I felt like I was a pretty good student, but I got to graduate school and like I absolutely sucked. Not an exaggeration. (laughs) I was on academic probation, just like straight up not enjoying myself. Why did I ever come to this God forsaken state, this God forsaken degree program? It was a really big struggle. And people in GCF were some of the people who I felt like kept my head above water in the middle of it. Sometimes we have this idea that whatever I'm going through is the absolute worst thing that any human has ever experienced, right? Well, like the depths of my own failure are the greatest depths anyone has experienced. I really like, you know, Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians that like no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Or Peter writes, you know that your brothers throughout the world are going through the same sorts of struggles. Reference to persecution, which is not the same as academic struggles in school. But the point is the same, right? That sometimes we have this idea that like, oh, our problems are somehow unique and something that like no human in the church has experienced, something that maybe God has never seen before. Both <laughs> those things are patently false. And I think GCP yeah. kind of grounded me. A, the sense that this is not like unique to you. We've been going through this too. And we're here for you. And then B, that this is not your ultimate identity. So like, even if I had flunked out of grad school, which I did not, that doesn't make me less worthy in the eyes of God. That doesn't make him less able to do as well through me. But I think of the G3 people, some of the people with whom I felt like I was able to be the most open and receive the most support. So here's one specific memory. One of my friends in GCF, every year around Christmas, he would hold a gingerbread party. He made his own gingerbread entirely from scratch. Because he made everything from scratch, he could make like custom gingerbread kits. One of the favorite things I saw him make was like a 3D recreation of Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper. Wow. Basically spent several hours like (laughs) grinding up candy to add color to little tiny gingerbread figurines seated at this table. It was quite a labor of love. And then the next year, so, okay, so I have a couple different hobbies, right? So one of those chests, another one of those lifting weights, and then another one's playing these weird instruments, one of which is called a hammered dulcimer. So I was like, all right, make me a chess piece that is lifting weights, but also at the same time playing the hammered dulcimer. Oh my gosh. And I was like, right, there's no way Ryan could do this. <laughs> and so he did it. He did it. It was really funny. And I just like, there's nothing that could like possibly describe my personality more than this entirely unrealistic combination. <laughs> this man's gingerbread artistry slash engineer. I don't even know what to call it, but knows no bounds. This is one of our more unique conversations, Mark, in that those things and some of the stuff happening in your head and heart around those very unique hobbies that you have, those are actually some of the things that I want us to spend our time talking about. You have a PhD, you play chess, powerlifting, and hammer dulcimer player. 
I would say probably in particular, we can zero in on chess and powerlifting because I think that those are some things you've had more public experiences with. I agree with that. I have other hobbies. Those are probably the two most public ones. Okay. So tell me, how did you get into this very unique set of hobbies of chess playing and powerlifting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my path to them could not be more opposite. Chess is something that I've done from a young age. My dad taught my brother and me how to play chess we were six. Well, actually, the Christmas before our sixth birthday, I played my first national level chess tournament shortly before I turned eight. Won my first national title for my age a year after that. The point is, I quickly displayed an ability for chess. And I think there are many reasons for that. One is that my dad is a really good teacher. The other is that my brother is a really good sparring partner. Ultimately, I think the most is that God, for some reason, gave both my brother and me a talent for chess. I can't really explain. But then actually, it's interesting because at the end of high school, I started to become sort of dissatisfied. Probably because I was playing chess, probably just because, you know, I did well in school. So I quickly became like the smart kid. But then also I was homeschooled until I went to college. And I don't intrinsically think that homeschooling dooms a kid to being a social outcast or something. Sure. I can yeah. just say that I was socially awkward in high school. And <laughs> rightly or wrongly, I think I kind of took it out on chess. And so I was kind of like, well, I have good friends and chess at the very least is not advancing my goal to change that. And it's probably the reason for it or so I thought. And so actually by the end of high school, I literally didn't play at all. No, I'm done. I want to do anything but chess. Doesn't matter if I'm good at it or not. Just want to do something that will make me feel accepted. Of course, you know, I would critique many ways in which I thought about the world as a teenager. But I do think one of the things I did hit on, no matter how much I succeeded in chess, and this is true for anything else, as I would go on to realize throughout the course of life, my success in chess was not going to define me or give me a meaningful sense of identity. It wasn't going to give me a meaningful acceptance from God or from other people. The more you achieve in anything, right, you can sort of get some measure of those things, but it's not the real thing. It's a it's a shallower version of that thing. By the grace of God, I was seeing through that. There were many ways in which I was just frankly immature at that point, but there were some ways in which there was a holy dissatisfaction, I guess. I pivoted away from chess to many other things. I was getting really into like these Bible memorization contests that I was doing. Nice. If I was concerned about being a nerd, I'm not sure if that <laughs> is better, but you know, at this point, I was oh, getting really into like all these weird musical instruments. That's where I kind of learned about the hammer dolls and how to play it. And, you know, God has used all of those and continues to use like, you know, the knowledge of scripture I gained from that, right? The music I still play right to the point. But in college, I played chess a little bit because the president of the chess club at WashU heard about me. He's like, this guy's like super high rated. I'm going to like recruit this guy. So every year between Christmas and New Year's, they would hold the national championship for college students. And I went every year as the undergrad student, actually two years as a grad student. But I would say as an adult, I still played pretty minimally up until about three or four months ago, which we'll probably talk about. Powerlifting is the exact opposite. I didn't play like any sports really growing up. In the homeschool co-op, we would play dodgeball or something like that during our school breaks. And I was always the last person to get picked. So like, you know that you're bad at sports when among the homeschoolers, you've sunk <laughs> to the bottom. Oh my gosh. I was like, not only bad at sports, I just assumed that I would always be bad at sports. But during my senior year of college, one of my good friends from WashU was getting really into lifting weights. This guy, unlike me, is built like a tank. Also an incredibly smart person. Also like one of the persons you can feel like who most loves Jesus of anyone I know. He was getting really into lifting weights and I really wanted to try, but was too chicken until right before I graduated college. I was just like, well, you know, I'm going to be out of here in a couple of days. Nobody has to see me again. So I was like, all right, Shane, take me to the gym. Show me what you do. So we went like twice, right? And then I graduated and I left. I lifted a little bit over the summer. And then in graduate school, like I mentioned, it was really challenging in a lot of ways. And I was like, I want anything except research. The cerebral thing is really intangible, whereas lifting is very physical. It's very easy to see, like, did I complete what I set out to do? It was gratifying in all the ways that I felt deprived of research. 
But then it was also funny because, like I said, I had this impression that gym rats would be the people who most make you feel the smallest and the most Hmm. worthless of humans or something like that. I'm not going to say that there is no one out there like that. But by and large, I had it entirely backward. Some of the people I've met through powerlifting are some of the most supportive people I've met. And the overall culture of powerlifting is one of the most supportive of the ones I'm regularly in. I'm not saying this to like glorify a powerlifting culture at some level that it doesn't deserve to be. But I can say, at least compared to some things like chess or even some aspects of like subcultures of academia, it is refreshing in some ways. And I guess I would say that is sort of a theme as I kind of balance chess and powerlifting and graduate school and certainly many other life pursuits and stuff I have. None of these things are ultimate. I mentioned that I realized at a young age, right, that chess could not be ultimate in my life and be fulfilling. I hope it goes without saying, but I want to say it anyways. That's true of powerlifting. That's true of scientific research. None of these things are capable of giving us that sense of meaning that only comes from God and is given to us through the work of Christ. If we do try to patch together some sense of meaning, like we're giving ourselves the fig leaves. That's what we're clothing ourselves with yes. to try to patch over our own fallen and limited human condition. So the point is that like what I think that all these hobbies do, right? They're not like some type of patchwork set of fig leaves I'm trying to wove together. I'm not trying to say, oh, well, none of these things individually can be my identity, but collectively they can be. But what I think they each do, because like I said, they are so different culturally speaking, and my past through them are also very different. Each of them reminds me that the other is not ultimate. Interesting. And so I see through them the strengths of one that reveal the weaknesses of the other. So there is a temptation to try to say, hey, I'm going to try to weave together the perfect portfolio of activities that somehow can meet all my core needs as a person. I'm sure that I've done that at times, but I would say that I hope as I pursue God, I've, you know, I come to do better over time. Basically allow each of these things to remind me that the others belong in their subordinate place. You know, the identity I receive from Christ, the meaning I experience in him, right? And the the calling I have to be first and foremost dedicated to doing his will. That's really interesting that even as you excel or succeed or see improvement in each one of them, that there's still these places where you say, yep, and even in the midst of this, this is reminding me back and forth that these do not complete me, that these do not define who I am, and that there's something more here, and that through all of this, Jesus is the constant. Just to just to put it out there, because I don't think you've mentioned it, so I will mention it for you to make sure that people know for sure that these things aren't just like you you lift weights on a set of weights in your basement with your buddies, and that's sort of the extent of the hobby, or that you just play chess with your friends on the weekend. You've played tournaments in the past, but like you are officially an international master. Okay, technically the title is pending, but... I completed all the requirements. Okay. At the very least, you have completed all requirements and are just waiting for the final rubber stamp on your international master title. So like that's pretty legit. Yeah. Making this milestone was considered pretty surprising, especially because I was in my late 20s with like a day job. Most people who are even pursuing these titles are either child prodigies, right, whose families and or governments are putting in a ton of investment for them to play chess almost full time or like are full-time professionals themselves, right? So actually, that was why I wrote, I was invited to write an article after I earned my first norm, which is like an intermediate result you have to get to earn this title. U.S. Chess was like, hey, do you want to write an article about that? We <laughs> want to hear how an old geezer like you want all these things. <laughs> you know, That's amazing. About that. But yeah, so <laughs> powerlifting, I don't have like the same resume with, but over time, I'm starting to get better at that. So I have competed at the national level for that. They have formulas for like pair across weight classes. So I think I'm in like the top 2% or so of competitive powerlifters by that formula. If you are familiar with people at the top, it's not hard to find people who are better than me, actually in both those things. But I'm really thankful to have come 
further than I ever thought I would on both of those. So you've experienced some great forward motion with both of these things, even if you've reached some of these goalposts at unusual times in your life. And I would imagine in the midst of this, you've also experienced some significant failure too. And so in this world of identity that we're talking about, how do you continue moving forward in the midst of of failure, but also in the midst of like pretty significant titles, meaningful success? How do you keep moving forward with that? So I'll actually talk a little bit about this past year of powerlifting. So I competed for the first time in nationals in 2022. Playing in national level chess tournaments like I can do, those are usually first of all open to anyone. And then there's a top section, but my rating almost always seeds me into that. Not so for nationals. Powerlifting has three lifts, squats, bench press, deadlifts. You get three attempts to do one repetition with as much weight as you can on each and your heaviest of each of those three attempts counts toward your total. So... I was hoping to hit it in like 2018. And then they raised the qualifying total for the day before I was going to compete and try to hit that qualifying total. Wow. So I was like, okay, now it's out of my reach. Then they raised it again the next year, moving it further beyond reach. All in all, the qualifying total for nationals in my weight class is now over 100 kilograms or like 220 pounds higher than it was when I first was trying to qualify. So the point is, right, this is a non-trivial chunk of weight. But in 2022, USA Powerlifting was holding their national championships in Las Vegas, Nevada in June. By an amazing coincidence, U.S. Chess has holding their historic national open in Las Vegas, Nevada in June. <laughs> I looked into it there at the same time. I was like, this can't be planned. There are not many, if any, people who compete in both at a high level. It actually is even weirder than that. They are literally located in the same mega resort. Like, so same time, <laughs> same place. They're holding both things. Crazy. When I got there, but I did get there, but as I'll describe, it was not easy. When I got there, I realized they were actually literally down the hall. So sometimes I'd be playing chess and I'd sneak out to watch the lifting. I lifted weights and I literally went and ran down in my singlet to start the chess tournament. (laughs) The point is, I saw this coincidence that these tournaments are going to be held together. I was like, I have to do whatever I can to hit that qualifying total after all these years. So I tried at the Michigan State Championship in November 2021. I choked on the bench press and I kind of like knocked myself out of contention. Okay, fine. Not a big deal. I will try again in February. because You need like a few months between because it's a very physically draining event to try to hit maximal effort. This is literally like as I was moving out to California. So I drove from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was living to California. The first stop on this road trip was Columbus, Ohio, where I did another meet to try to qualify. Had a scare, but succeeded where I'd failed before. Got to deadlift, final deadlift, loaded up the number I needed to qualify. I got it like inches from lockout. I just couldn't bring it those last couple of inches so close. I looked down as like the saddest I've ever been at powerlifting. So I like, was really sad as I was like driving. I stopped in St. Louis, Missouri. Actually, I visited a friend from college and then I was driving through Kansas. So I had like a bunch of time to be like really lonely and sad because there's like nothing in Kansas. With all due respect to Kansas, I'm sorry that's not a fair generalization as somebody who's never lived there. But I was thinking about it. I was like, man... I really, really don't want to give up on this. It just felt like this is just like meant to be. Maybe I can still find a meet that somehow still has openings. It would be a really rushed turnaround. It's only four months. That would be a rough turnaround, even if I had qualified to go into prep. But having to prepare for another meet, do that other meet, recover from the other meet, go into nationals. So I was contemplating, should I do this? There is a way in which I could just be kicking against the goats. I'm sure almost any reasonable powerlifting coach would probably say, this is absolute madness. Take your L with dignity and try it the next day, right? <laughs> yeah. As I was thinking about that, I was like, it's not just about like, what I want. Guess what? Life is tough and life isn't fair. And, you know, as Les Miserables musicals, some dreams are not meant to be, right? That's just the way of life. <laughs> 
as I was trying to decide, do I accept this right, or do I still make the push? Like I was trying to say a couple things. One, can I do this in such a way that the process by which I pursue this builds my relationships with other people? I want this to do something which that allows me to like sort of be more intentional with my relationships. So I quickly was able to find a good powerlifting community. And the church that I was recommended to on this road trip, I met this couple, the husband and wife are both powerlifters. The husband, Matt Young, literally holds the American record in the bench press for the weight class above me. But they are some of the most humble people. They embody the character of Christ among the best of anyone I've ever met. I hang out with them a lot. We're really good friends. So God is really faithful, actually. Provide me a great Christian community. I was out there providing a great powerlifting community and making the two not even be completely disjoint, which is really funny. So I think the path by which I pursued the goal poured into my life and the people around me. Second of all, can the process of me like trying to get to nationals or powerlifting actually in itself be redemptive? And I think it was looking back on it. I found a meet in West Virginia. I actually flew back in late April to compete in the West Virginia State Championship. So I'm really thankful that like, you know, even after the failure and then the second failure that looked like it would be the final opportunity to fail, that it wasn't that God had this other plan to do it. I didn't deserve to be here. I I snuck in like six and a half weeks out by the skin of my teeth, right? I actually did really well in that. I wasn't like in contention to win or anything, but by my standards, with a six and a half week turnaround, I was like, look, I might be too physically wiped to even compete. Maybe I won't even like match what I did to get there. But like the point for me was just have fun and laugh at this absurd combination events. But I actually hit personal best in everything. It was quite ridiculous. I really wanted to deadlift 600 pounds like in my life. I did like 584 pounds to qualify, which is the way that it failed. So then I was deadlifting at Nats and like, you know, I deadlifted first attempt, second attempt, 573 pounds, like very close to what I hit before, uh, moved well. I knew I could lift more, but it was not easy. I actually called for 589 pounds. You're usually not allowed to change your tempo if you put them in, but for your last deadlift, you're allowed to change it. Literally nobody thought that 600 would be there. I certainly didn't even. But then I, I was watching the video again. I was like, you know, I feel like I have made big jumps like this before. Maybe I'll have a good fight. Maybe I'll get to my knees like I did with the 584 that I couldn't lock out in February. So I changed the attempt. I did the thing. Nobody, based on training, based on like how my previous number had moved, there's no human reason that number should. But like, I cannot express. I mean, it's kind of dumb, right? I mean, there are people out there, like even my size, who can lift even more weight than that. Like much as like, that was a huge lifetime goal for me. I would be the last to say that it's anywhere near the limits of what humans can do. It's beyond the limits of what I certainly thought I could do. You know, there's a song by Casting Crowns. Uh, what's it called? Voice of Truth, right? And so I really like that song. I was thinking about it. Talking at first, like the story of like Peter, right? And Jesus calls him. He's like walking on water. You know, the waves, it feels like they're like mocking it, right? And then it talks about like David. The giant, right, is like talking and laughing and like reminding me all the time when you tried before and failed. And the voice of truth, right, is saying like, this is for my glory, right? I'm not saying this is special because 600 pounds is some number that is foreign to the limits of any human. But like that to me felt like a God moment if I ever had one. I think that God cares about everything we do, right? I think that like God is moving in everything we do. Since that's why I'm not ashamed to say that. So I'm not saying this because I think powerlifting or the act of lifting is some profound thing, but it's because of what we see through it, the work of, of, I would say, the work of God doing in it. One of my favorite scripture passages is 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and saying like, look, not many of you, when God called you, were like wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were no birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, right? So like, you know, I don't think that I'm a great athletic talent. I definitely would say I'm one of the weak ones. And so if anyone's like, wow, like, I feel like I should be a lot more talented than that guy, athletically speaking. Like, you're probably <laughs> right. And maybe that's exactly God's point. But if all these things do not make me 
more in awe of the work of God, more desiring to serve other people, like more able to recognize the grace that God has given to other people. Like if they do not humble me and put me in my place, if they do not motivate me to want to serve God and other people better, then I might as well not do that. I do think that's true. And so I, through all these things, I hope that if nothing else, like, I don't think I'm going to leave a huge, like I said, there are other people who are better than me in powerlifting. There are people who are better than me than chess. There are such a thing as grandmasters out there, right? It's not that the legacy I'm going to leave is going to be like, wow, like he was the greatest athlete that, you know, any of these sports has ever seen, right? The greatest science research that he's ever seen. And even if I were, that's not the legacy I'd like to leave. What I would like is to produce this character in me that leads me to this deeper level of humility and this desire to serve others. As I move up through the ranks and in theory move in that direction, if that does not produce me more of a servant's attitude and lead me in that arc that Jesus is describing, I think I've gotten it all backwards. Wow. Mark, as I hear you share this story, I just hear you saying that whether it's in the midst of success or failure, that your desire is that the outcome of what you're doing is benefiting the people around you, the community that you are interacting with, that you are adding value to their lives and to their experience, and that you are glorifying God in what you do, that whatever success or failure you experience in these communities and in these competitions or even just in the gym or in a casual game of chess, if there is such a thing for you as a casual game of chess. Way too much. I play more <laughs> online chess than I should. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, that, that in the midst of those things that you are pointing people towards Jesus. And as I hear you sharing these things and as I think about alumni listening to this story, somebody who's just stepping into their post-college reality, stepping into a place and a group of people and maybe even a job that that they're just like, where do I go from here? And to say that something like your experiences with powerlifting and the ways that you have met God in that and seen these great things of like, I was the guy that got picked last for dodgeball <laughs> with a group of homeschoolers and that God has shown up in this place that seemed like would have probably been nothing and has turned it into something that has been life-giving, something that you've seen success in, something that you've grown in community in. And maybe for us to encourage alumni that, wow, the Lord can take whatever context you're stepping into and he can build something amazing and life-giving and incredibly satisfying out of that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, at least in my experience, like I believe it's in God's will for us to, to have that. And and that I believe in God's ability to do that it is a good gift that God will give to all those who are earnestly seeking it. That's awesome. Mark, so many cool stories. It's been super fun to get to reconnect with you, to reminisce about our days of digging in the dirt together, to hear more about what's happened since. And and I, I appreciate very much your ability to help us sort of contextualize, even though we are not international masters who also power lift. But to be able to tell the story of what it looks like to be somebody who is in process of continuing to pursue, like, in the good, the bad, and the boring, this is what it looks like for me to continue pursuing my identity in Jesus. And that I have value whether I succeed or fail because I'm created in God's image. Those are things that no matter what somebody's job or hobbies, that's something that everybody can walk away with because that's true for each human being that might listen to this podcast. They are created in the image of God and they are deeply loved by their creator. And, and they have value simply because of that. If no one got anything 
for anything <laughs> I said, but did internalize what you just said any deeper, that would be a great deliverable to have. Mark, thanks for helping us talk through that reality. It's been so much fun to talk and blessings on whatever the next step is for each of these things. Thank you so much. Wow, identity. We wrestled with it when we were in school, trying to excel in our classes, trying to be the best on our team, the best in our research lab, the best small group leader, the best Christian. When things were up, we were good. We were loved. We were worth something. But when they were down, watch out. We went right down with them. And it's the same temptation after we graduate. We want to be the best at what we do, have the nicest stuff, feel needed and wanted by someone or a community of someone's. We want to be the best version of ourselves possible in the eyes of God and those around us. But when we don't hit that mark, yikes. Friends, our worth is in no way attached to what we accomplish or fail to accomplish. We have value simply because we are God's creation and we have special worth because we're created in his own image. I hope as you continue on with your week and as I do the same, that we can rest in the knowledge that we are secure in God's loving hands. We can celebrate the wins. We can lament the losses because there are losses and they do hurt. And we can keep pursuing healthy growth and improvement, but doing so knowing that none of those things impact our identity as God's beloved children. Mark, thanks so much for your example and for your encouragement in these things. Good luck in the next tournament, competition, hammer dulcimer recital, whatever it may be. We really appreciate you. If there was anything that you learned that you really enjoyed or that encouraged you from today's episode, send us a DM or tag us in a story. You can find us at After4Pod on Instagram and Facebook. We would love to hear all about it. Then be sure to come back next week for an opportunity to do something that I'm guessing few of us get to do after graduation. Retreat. I'm excited to spend some time together in a unique way in preparation for the Lenten season. As always, thanks so much for joining us. If you haven't already, take a second to unlock your phone and subscribe to the podcast. If your platform lets you, leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what we're doing here, share us with your InterVarsity or other post-graduation friends. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the after, alumni. <laughs>